Welcome back, faithful listeners. This is another episode of Around with Stephen Cole. We are coming pre-recorded from 12 Mile Limit. I am one half of your hosting team, Stevie Mata. I am T. Cole Newton. Thanks for joining us again. We are here to talk about water in Louisiana, in the Gulf South, in New Orleans specifically. There's a lot of it. We have a very love-hate relationship with it. This city would not exist were it not at the mouth of the Mississippi River. There has to be a city here, just logistically, for this country to function the way it does. But the way it exists, it's continued... So the water being here is why the city is here, but it's also one of the reasons the city might cease to be (laughs) (laughs) if we don't sort of develop a better relationship with it. So we've had a lot of flooding in the last month. Uh, Our friends over at the Broad Theater got flooded and had to close twice in the last three weeks. They have a, they're they're back open again this weekend. They're very resilient, as is the city as a whole. Um, But it's on people's minds more so than it might otherwise be. And so we've decided to bring in a couple of guests to to talk about it. We've got Ari Acevedo. Did I pronounce that correctly? Acevedo. Acevedo. Uh, from the Gulf Restoration Network. She's the outreach team coordinator over there. And we have Maggie Olivier. She works in floodplain management for Jefferson Parish. And they're going to uh, help walk us through the fraught relationship that our city has with the water that surrounds us on almost all sides. Right on. Yeah. Uh, before we get too far into everything, um, you know, one of my philosophies with this show, I mean, our philosophy, I, I hope, Cole, I mean, we have differing philosophies, which makes this a, you know, interesting show, hopefully, to listen to. But uh, we, uh, we're not a current events show so much. We're not trying to be up-to-date news. We've been doing weekly episodes. But, you know, by the time our show comes out, there's been so much coverage. And, like, you know, we want to put things out there that people can go back and listen to and not have to have a specific frame of reference. Um, so with the events that happened last week and two weeks before that with the flooding that happened in Orleans Parish, you know, really brought into perspective the importance of being able to manage an infrastructure within a city and, you know, certain failings that can be thereof. So it really brought my attention to the fact that I know so little about what's happening with the Gulf. I know so little bit about what's happening with floodplain management. So, you know, I was really wanted to get some people on who could talk about that and kind of like shed some light on it. And I think it's important for a lot of our listeners and people who want to learn more to know that there are resources and people available that they can learn more about these things. Cool. So let's go ahead and start off with our first guest, Ari. Um, So you are not a New Orleans native. I am not a New Orleans native. I am a native, uh, a next door native, I guess you could say. (laughs) Next door Uh, (laughs) native. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I grew up in South Texas, uh, very much on the border of Mexico, uh, about 45 minutes north of South Padre Island. So just about as far south as you can go. and uh, I came to New Orleans a little over five years ago. Now I came here for school, mm-hmm. and I fell in love with the city and have stayed. I have a job here, like you said, working for Gulf Restoration Network. Mm-hmm. So being, were you from one of the barrier islands as well? Did you grow, grow up that close to the coast that you were looking out over the Gulf? Uh, not so much. Uh, I grew up, like I said, about 45 minutes away from there, but I spent a significant portion of my time uh, as a young person you know, childhood and young adulthood at South Padre Island, which is a barrier island in Texas. Uh, you know, some of my fondest memories are there at the beach, you know, for times with family and friends. So that has really, you know, motivated me and inspired me to do the work that I do now, protecting the Gulf of Mexico, defending it, as we like to say at JRN, uh, and restoring our natural resources to make sure that the places that we love uh, are there for years to come. Yeah, it's an odd thing. I I think that 
the Gulf is such an amazing resource. It's it's just this huge habitat for so much uh, uh, sea life, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I was struggling with that word. It's like, <laughs> what do you call those things that swim around in the ocean? <laughs> but in, in the same vein, too, uh, there's a really bad perception, I think, of the Gulf as, as something. Like, it's not a pristine beach. It's not the Pacific with, like, blue oceans. It's not like the Caribbean with, like, you know, white sand beaches and crystal clear water. So I think a lot of people kind of disparage or have this image of, like, putting down what the Gulf is. It's like, oh, it's just this dirty body of water. And it's kind of crappy. I mean, it's like a really beautiful, amazing habitat. It is. It definitely is. And it's a really important resource for a lot of the economy, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in the Gulf South. You know, the Mississippi flows into there. Uh, so big on import and export. Uh, but beyond that, you know, big fishing industry. And so, yeah, you know, it does have its problems, especially with the Mississippi River flowing out into the Gulf. You know, it's created this really awful dead zone yeah. uh, that de- I guess, let's wait, deoxidates. It? Yeah. Oh, I God. I d- removes the oxygen from the water. Right. Thank oh. you. It yeah. Creates- there's, a, there's a technical term for yeah. it that escapes me now. <laughs> Nitri- <laughs> nitrogen rich water on the top. It blocks sunlight from the bottom. Photosynthesis can't happen. doesn't process like It, it also creates an algal bloom. And the, the, the bloom of plants created by all the runoff, the sediment, the nutrient rich soil. All the, pl- all the water plants that grow suck all the oxygen out. No other, no other life can survive in that, exactly. in that water. Exactly. Uh, that's that's a real issue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, it is a. You know, there are parts of the Gulf that are very pristine, and there are parts of the Gulf that are this muddy, swampy, <laughs> silty, gross thing. There's that perception yeah. I was talking about. Right? Yeah, but, 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 but it's, it, it, it is both things, though. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the dead zone's not exactly a positive. But right. but I mean, I think in terms of natural beauty, yeah, it is really naturally beautiful, mm-hmm. and I think that. It's unfortunate that we don't really take advantage of how beautiful it is, and we kind of extract these natural resources in a way that is probably going to be detrimental to us in the future. Right. Now, water management is a very interesting thing as well with coastline, with like rivers and tributaries and everything like that, because they're all managed by states for the most part. Like federal regulation is there, but different states will manage their own like you know water properties mm-hmm. in different manners so i'm not familiar with how it is in texas for the most part but did you grow up instilled with like this sense of like you know an urgency to protect or preserve like you know the coast in that area or not really so much no uh <laughs> <laughs> short answer no i was not that was not ingrained in me from a young age you know i definitely grew up going hunting and fishing with my dad but it never really i never put two and two together that you know, if I'm out here, you know, on the water with my dad, I want to protect it because we're using this for recreation. That mm-hmm. never really occurred to me until I became a little bit older and started, you know, making those connections for myself. But as a young person, definitely not. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm from North Carolina originally, and with the uh, the Outer Banks that are over there, I always feel like there was a, a certain part that was like, you know taught to us at a very young age about how unique and like special this kind of like you know barrier islands that we have here and like how important like that portion of the state was so i always think that's really interesting and with louisiana especially like uh, the you can't separate water from louisiana like southern louisiana especially i don't i don't spend too much time in north louisiana unfortunately so i'm not a hundred percent sure Maggie, you grew up in in Houma, is that correct? That's right yeah i grew up in Houma, which is um about an hour southwest of new orleans and honestly, I grew up in a house that flooded pretty regularly. We were um, slab on grade like the rest of our neighborhood, but we were in the middle of the street that sort of dipped down. And so for any heavy rain, literally, if it was a three-hour rain, then I knew the drill by the time I was like three or four years old where we had 
all our stuff were in were in bins and we knew okay it's time to put things on top of the bed let's put blankets in front of the doors just do whatever we can to keep the water out but we flooded um at least once a year in some cases obviously more than that when those really um heavy rain years but um growing up there i mean you know as i'm older now kind of like ari was saying it's you know people i think think when they think of homa for those that are familiar with the area, they think of water. And, and honestly, I didn't see water. Mm. We were in the, the, you know, the main part of uh, the city. And though I went to school with people who literally did live on the water, it was, it was a 30-minute drive or longer, you know, before mm-hmm. you start to see open bodies. And so I, I really wasn't, a, I wasn't aware of how precious that area was as well. And we are learning now that, um, you know, with, with the coastal land losses that we're seeing, Homa will become the the first part i mean it, there'll be a time mm-hmm. in the near future where from homa you'll see the golf right you know and Jeez. and <laughs> it's yeah and it's it brings a mix of emotions yeah you no know? absolutely it's like you know in 50 years it's like is this actually going to exist anymore you know or like what how does that climate change and how does that change the region people, now i was gonna the people you talk about annual flooding and people look at flooding externally a lot of the times as a, as a universally negative phenomenon but for people who are more familiar with sort of the nuances of the Mississippi Delta and how this land was literally created, it was because of flooding. The, the, because the Mississippi River would pretty much annually, if not more than that, but at least once a year, would overflow its banks when there were heavy uh, waters. And the, the, the sediment that is now flowing directly out into the Gulf and contributing to this dead zone would help replenish the land along the coast. And since then... Uh, the, in an effort to maintain shipping lanes and an effort to keep people from having to deal with annual flooding in their living rooms every year, they've b- built up walls along the sides of the river that keep it flowing in the same way every year. It doesn't overflow its banks as often, which means that people don't have to sweep, you know, mop out their homes as often, but it also means that the coast is starting to, to fade away, that that, that that redistribution of of the of resources that the flooding created along the southern delta doesn't happen and it's one of the major contributing factors is the lack of flooding is what it's, it's, it's counterintuitive that the lack of flooding is destroying the coast you're absolutely right on that um you know but i, I do want to point out that there are there are different types of flooding and so the kind of flooding you're talking about is more you know riverine the river literally overflowing its banks and and coming in building land bringing that nourishment of the sediment but um the kind of flooding that like my family dealt with was more internal drainage issues Mm -hmm. and so you know and that is something that we see across the board and and we hear about it all the time now is oh well the drainage didn't didn't have enough capacity or you know this it it was something that was the issue for our street for for sure what did did homa because you say there was a little bit of dip on your street it would does homa have a similar sort of the geographical phenomenon of having been drained to be built on. Like most of New Orleans geographically was swampy. swampy. There's the natural high ground sort of close to the Mississippi River, which is why it's called the Crescent City, because that was the natural high ground sort of grew up in that, that river bend, but all close to the, to, the, to the river. And then about 100 years ago and change, they figured out how to drain the rest of it on an industrial scale. People started building on it, but as they drained it, the soils co- and built on, put the heavy houses and buildings on top of its roads, that it, it 
settled and became this bowl. Did Homa have that same phenomenon? And is that oh. one of the reasons there's that kind of internal flooding that we... That's the, that's what we saw in New to, Orleans. To last be honest, week, I'm not sure. Before. I'm not sure how Homa became Homa. Um, I'm sort of the worst, like, <laughs> native home, Homa person. Um, that I mean, it's it's possible for sure. Yeah. I, if I had to guess, I mean, I would say probably agricultural to begin with. It's probably an agricultural community that got built up around industrial at some point like i mean the oil industry like what, what is what is i, I don't i yeah you know. the, the oil industry is huge there right. um i mean the home indian nation made their mm. way there. i mean they kind of were the first to, to settle in the area and um is there still a significant native population in that area oh, absolutely yes mm. um and there you know there I, there's a, a tiny airport there that was made uh, i don't know if it was made but it was used during World War II times for soldiers to be able to come in and out. And so, um, you know, I mean, a lot's happened in Homa. Um, in fact, I mean, that's, that's our houses were, the house that I grew up in was actually built in 1941 as kind of a, a way for soldiers to bunk. It was, it was for that purpose um, originally. And then, um, you know, so, so how it came to be, I'm, I'm not sure of the details on that. I, I got to throw this in here. We've said Homa like 10 times and I can't, hear the word Homa uh, ten times in a row without saying, Swamp Thing's from Homa? Do you guys know that Swamp Thing is from Homa? <laughs> the classic DC oh, yeah. comic book yes. anti-hero. Oh, yes. The, the Alan Moore penned a moment of genius Swamp Thing. Yeah, definitely from Homa, Louisiana. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see a Swamp Thing growing up, Maggie? <laughs> Just kidding. All right, all right. So let's transition back to you. You came to town uh, five years ago, you said. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was your perception uh, when you got here immediately about the relationship with New Orleans, Orleans Parish, Southern Louisiana, and the coast with the river and with wetlands? So, I will be really honest. I came here as a college student mm-hmm. uh, in my bubble at Loyola and wasn't really, didn't really take advantage of what New Orleans is until a little bit later in my time here Mm -hmm. Uh, so I can't really say like I had any immediate perceptions of what New Orleans was and what our relationship with water was because I didn't really know you know I wasn't familiar I knew the Mississippi was there Uh, I knew there was a big lake on the other side but at the time I couldn't have told you what the name of the lake was I knew the bridge was really long (laughs) you never make it up to that part of the city when you're going to that school right exactly I was just too late originally as well so Mm -hmm. like I think that's a really excellent point as well Um, and use the word bubble there which we're using bubble in a term that I I really enjoy instead of (laughs) as an economic bubble which I don't like like it's so crazy because Loyola and Tulane bring so many people to the city and they like fall in love with the city and like they and a lot of them decide to stay here but for those four or five years that you spend at Tulane or Loyola a lot of people they stay in that bubble like they don't go past like Maple Street they might go to the French Quarter every now and then but like they it's a, it's a lot of people who are living in the city who don't actually have a chance to form a real relationship with the city it's 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 an odd it's odd I guess I mean college is a full-time job so I can understand that but you know well and it's odd and it's unfortunate right New right. Orleans is awesome yeah and, <laughs> and obviously as someone who has dedicated now the majority of their adult life to making sure that New Orleans is going to be here 50 years to come, you know, I want people to be able to see that and people who come in and who just to come to visit to see beyond Bourbon Street or to see beyond Uptown and Mm -hmm. see what New Orleans and what Louisiana is because Louisiana as a state is beautiful as well and our swamps are beautiful and they are really important economically for us and so protecting them and restoring them is really important and... Uh, we need to, I think, maybe not stop 
we need to stop thinking in the short term and more think in the long term of what solutions are right. to protect these really important natural yeah, resources. Yeah, across the board as well, too. I mean, like short-term planning with things like the pumping systems in the mm-hmm. city as well, too. It's just like, okay, well, you know, quick fixes, quick fixes, quick fixes. Then we have something like the flooding that, like all the industrial flooding that happened uh, last week. So that's a that's a good example across the board for natural uh, like conservation as well as like, mm-hmm. you know, infrastructure planning as well. How did you get involved with the GRN? Uh, so one of my really good friends, actually, she was working for them at the time. Uh, she had the job that I have right now. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, invited me to do some volunteer work with them. Uh, and I you know, started learning about the organization and started really that was kind of my first experience with what is going on in terms of coastal land loss uh, and environmental degradation as a whole in Louisiana. Uh, and so, you know, I started learning more about them and getting more involved with them as an organization and stuck with it. Uh, I had some significant experience in uh, nonprofit fundraising, mm-hmm. which is the larger portion of the work that I do for them now. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, a couple, a little while after Aubrey left, uh, someone reached out to me from GRN and asked if I was interested in getting involved uh, in a paid way, which <laughs> I absolutely was. The dream, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly, it was the dream. Uh, and so now here I am living living the dream. It's like looking into like an opposite miracle. Like if the nonprofit work had worked for you and you'd got to start getting paid for it too, you'd never have twelve mile limits. That's true. I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Or I'm, I might. The this might dark, be a very different the podcast. So, uh, Cole, uh, you got here about 10 years ago? Yeah, uh, thereabouts. 10, 11 years uh, ago? Yeah, it was a year to the day after Katrina was my first. Cool. What would you say was your relationship in, in your first couple years living in New Orleans with water in the city? Uh, because of the time frame and what I was doing, I moved down here specifically because of Katrina. And I think it's important that we distinguish between the sort of heavily, the interior flooding that we experienced in this past month and the exterior flooding because the, the symptomatically they can look very similar the, the, people look at the pictures from 10 years ago of circle foods for example uh, under uh the same amount of water that it ha- that we saw during katrina the the during katrina the the rains were not especially strong so the 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 levee walls broke and the flooding was from the lake and from the industrial canal and it flowed into the city sort of from outside and then sort of filled up because we talked about this the city is 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 concave now because we, we drained out all the swamp water it's now most of it's below sea level and it just filled up until the the lake and the city were at the same level um Whereas the, the more recent flooding was just a, a deluge of storm water just d- being dropped into the city interior. It was inside all of those uh, walls that are designed to keep the lake out and to keep the gulf out. So it, it was a bit of a different phenomenon. It was less localized. It was, I got here, it was a year after the storm, and there was still, I would say, 80% of the city was just empty. And... There were most uh, parts of it, like the lower ninth ward, which flooded very, very quickly because there was a, a, a very large breach that happened very suddenly in the in the wall on that side of the industrial canal. That was just a like a wasteland. It was you, it were foundations and steps leading up to nothing, and then blocks away you would see where the house had landed. There was very there was sort of a famous image uh, that stuck in my mind. I've I've seen it on posters since then too, but of a house that landed on top of a pickup truck, and it just felt very 
it felt very surreal still. But most of the city, because it flooded very, very slowly, a lot of the structures were still there, but there were a lot of water lines on houses, and it was very, very clear the damage that, that water could do. I mean, I was here because of that. There was still, you know, you open these houses and it was just just mold and degradation. And also because of the, the nature, like because those flood walls had been, had been breached, the city sat with that flooding for so long after Katrina that that was a big difference. It was the duration of the flooding. So this past weekend, a lot of people got water in their homes for a few hours. And it's very, very different, especially in the heat of a New Orleans summer, to have water in your home for a few hours versus having water in your home for a month. You know, the, the, the damage that the mold can do is a lot when it allowed to perpetuate because the city was evacuated. People couldn't come in and clean out their homes. That 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 was a big part of the damage that was done to people's homes and their livelihood and mm-hmm. the generations of things that people just accumulate and don't really think about photos and memorabilia that you just had to completely start over after, yeah. you know, 100 years of accumulated stuff, essentially. Yeah. So that's really interesting, too. I mean, that just perspective, I think. And I'd love to hear what you would have to say, too, Maggie, because you grew up here, like, and, you know, so much of your life doesn't involve just post-Katrina. But, like, your perception of, like, Gulf South's coal is, like, you know, you can't separate that from, like, Katrina. Like, your image of, like, water, when you first think of it, is water lines and, like, houses. That's, yeah. that's your big thing. What, what was it like for you, Maggie? Like, you know, what was, like, you know, besides the flooding that, like, you know, happened in your house? And it sounds like kind of the way you described that, too, is kind of like, no, eh, we, we deal with it kind of thing. It was, like, a little more on the regular. But, I mean, what, what are your memories growing up and, like, your relationship with, like, the swamps and, like, with the rivers and, like, the coast? Um, so, so, like I said, I mean, we weren't near those bodies of water. And so I, I have very limited memories really? of those things. I mean, minutes is in here. I, <laughs> I know. I mean, I would go with my... I, at that, keep in mind, I'm, I'm the youngest kid of five. And by that point, my parents were very, very busy working mm. to, to make sure we were, <laughs> you know, really good to go. And so, um, you know, they, my dad had two boats that lived in our backyard. I never saw them in water. Mm. My dad and my mom and dad both had a camp that got destroyed by a hurricane before I was born. Um, so I didn't get to see kind of those um, in the Gulf kind of memories that, that my siblings had. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times where I, I was lucky enough to go with my neighbors who were my, my best friends. Actually, their parents would um, take us out to the barrier island down in north uh towards grand isle and mm-hmm. and all of that and so I, I have those memories very vague like hanging out on the you know what we assumed at the time were like the best beaches in in the world yeah and <laughs> i mean it's, it's I, I really like it out there too. yeah it's it was wonderful that's that's a whole nother conversation it's great with memories, grand isle but, and cut off right i mean geez right um but but my memories are literally of of the flooding we experienced in our home okay. and it was like I said, on a fairly regular basis, the deepest I remember it getting was for Hurricane Andrew. Mm. Um, really, back in 1992, it gotten up to about four and a half feet inside, so it was literally almost above the cabinets, huh. um, and that was the the worst flooding that I experienced at my mom and dad's house. I wasn't um, even aware that Hurricane Andrew affected uh, Louisiana. Like, for us, it was always Florida. Like, because we, I remember a ton of, like, when I was a kid, like, just, like, um, outreach efforts to raise money for yeah. Hurricane oh, Andrew. It, it uh, decimated but, Florida, right, yeah. Right, right, so. But I didn't, I didn't know that it hit all the way out here in Louisiana as well. It did, yeah. And so that that's really where my um, 
my water memory <laughs> starts. Um, is there a narrative you think then? I mean, from those two perspectives as well. I mean, I'll, I'll throw my two cents into it too. But water for me in Louisiana when I first came down here was tubing on the North Shore, which was always a lot of fun, and then hanging out at the Fly because I was a Tulane mm-hmm. kid, so we'd get a six pack and hang out on the Mississippi River and just you know pass the time away. So it was always like very leisurely activities, and there was a lot of positives for me for the most part. I mean, it wasn't until Katrina that like you know that negative factor of water came into it. But do you think that there's a narrative of negativity or fear when it comes to people who come down here or that is portrayed about the effect of water and like, you know, sustainability or not sustainability. That's the wrong thing to say, but like, you know, just, you know, living and everything, I guess. What do you think, Ari? Yeah, I think there is probably a negativity that people think of when they think of water. And uh, it's unfortunate, I think, because, you know, we, as a city, ha- you know, always think like, oh, well, like, water's here, we need to pump it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, without really thinking of, like, other ways that we could potentially, potentially, excuse me, use that water to mitigate flooding, mm. right? Whether that's, you know, with greener infrastructure, rain gardens, you know, permeable soil, or, excuse me, permeable pavement, uh, bioswales, rain uh, barrels, so things oh, like yeah. that where we're like, we, there are things that we can do, right, to kind of alleviate, you know, this negativity of water. Because, I mean, when you think of a rain garden, those are really beautiful mm-hmm. and can also work with water so that we are maybe changing the perception a little bit from, like, this is a really negative, obviously flooding is bad, right? right? No one wants their house to flood. No, no one wants their car to flood. But at the same time, I think that we can change the perception a little bit away from it's here, we need to get it out as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, and it's something that we struggle in Jefferson Parish to get the word out. We're trying to start, um, you know, to begin implementing a lot of those strategies. And, and actually for the first time with our um, hazard mitigation grant program and hazard mitigation assistance program, both funded by FEMA, um, we've recently been able to get about 80 properties approved to start doing green infrastructure as part of their elevation project. So that the elevation is protecting the house, but then these green infrastructure features are then there to help absorb that water. So it's 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 putting less of an impact on the capacity of the drainage system. Um, and so the idea is that the individual lots would hold a little bit of that water as the drainage system is sort of catching up, and then it can be drained, you know, a few hours later. Mm. Um, but but the idea is that there is still fear in that because people they do have that negative connotation when they think of flooded water. Right. They don't, you know, like, like, well, there's water in my yard and, and we want to help people understand that that's really okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's not going to be here long enough to start breeding mosquitoes. It's mm-hmm. not gonna, you know, it's just there to help store that water a little bit, get some of that water into the soil because we've lost the ability to do that. We have so much concrete now mm-hmm. that water's not getting into the soil and therefore has really elevated or escalated um, our rate of subsidence mm-hmm. and therefore you know we're, we're sinking and it's causing more exactly. problems um, and so the idea is, is green infrastructure has this potential to, to be very powerful and using water um, as it's assisting the infrastructure that's in place 
to keep people from flooding. Right on. Now, I know uh, there's crucial differences between, you know, the different parishes. That's why there are floodplain managers in, like, different parishes, I'm sure, uh, because it's always going to be different environments. But uh, with all the construction that's happening in Orleans Parish, I don't know if you, the same thing is happening in Jefferson with so much building and everything, but is, is that pretty detrimental right now to the systems? Like, I'd imagine just, like, with all the open lots, like, with runoff and things like that from, like, construction, is that, like, causing a higher burden to, like, the system? I'm not sure that it is, actually. I mean, the, the system is designed to run specifically, um, you know, it's a heavy rain. We're going to turn the pumps on and get the water out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that these construction projects are affecting okay. affecting that. Right on. It's just one of the, you know, at this point, too, I mean, like the conspiracy theories and the, like, uh, barstool <laughs> conjectures at this point, it's like, well, the reason why it's flooding is because they're fixing Canal and, uh, and, and City Park Avenue right now. That's why we're flooding. It's like... I don't know how true that is, but I don't know if it's untrue as well, too. I mean, like, communication has been, like, the big issue for all of us right now. Like, we just don't know what's happening at the moment. But I think both of you talk a lot about the potential that we have to sort of reevaluate the relationship that we have with water and use it in a more productive way of creating a... Instead of just getting rid of it and just getting it out of the city as quickly as possible or out of the parish as quickly as possible for, for those of us in Jefferson Parish that instead of doing that, we can theoretically harness it, use it as a resource, help it replenish our soil so we don't sink as fast. There's a lot of things that we can do with that. And New Orleans, I think, really has the potential because there are going to be a lot of communities dealing with more water as sea levels continue to rise, which I think we're all expecting them to in the, next, in the coming years. Um, we could really be a, a, a proving ground for a lot of these techniques and processes, I think, but only if we're willing to embrace them on a municipal or even regional scale. And do you guys think from your position, Maggie, inside a government body, or, and Ari, your position with, uh, with a nonprofit, I mean, I'm sure works with the government very closely in a lot of ways, do you see there being the will to do so? On the on the municipal scale, on the regional scale, are people just passing the buck from parish to parish so we can to, to avoid dealing with it? Are we going to see the meaningful change that is required to actually deal with this, or is it just sort of theoretical? So I've been with uh, Jefferson Parish for three and a half years now, and in that time, I've seen quite a transition of this is becoming a more popular conversation, and, and that is making it a regional approach. You know, what can we what can we do together? to make the impact bigger. Um, we, we all fully understand that, you know, if one parish does something, the other parishes are still at risk. And so if we want to keep the economy strong for the state of Louisiana, for each of our own individual parishes and municipalities, it's important that we do take on a regional approach to floodplain management, to resilience, to, um, you know, to just help keep the area in general, South Louisiana protected and here. Good. All right. Do you see that also? And are you, you, does the Gulf, uh, Gulf Restoration Network work across the Gulf? Are you working with people in Florida, Mississippi, or Texas, or Alabama? Or is it primarily Louisiana? And if not, should we be coordinating with Texas and Florida and all of the other areas affected by what's happening on the Gulf Coast? So we definitely work in all five Gulf states. Okay. So we work in Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Florida and Mississippi. Underneath the table, I just had my five fingers. I was like, well, so, 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 so. <laughs> <laughs> what are the five states? Um, I'm dumb sometimes. I apologize. No, you're not dumb. <laughs> uh, but 
you know, we are working specifically in New Orleans right now, dealing with flooding issues with our floodless New Orleans campaign. Uh, and the city of New Orleans does have a comprehensive stormwater management plan. It's called uh, the Urban Water Plan. And so, you know, which in essence is a plan that would deal with water in a better way than the way that we're dealing with it right now, where, you know, right now it rains and we pump the water out into the Pontchartrain and it's really costly for the city. It costs the city $50 million every year. Mm. Uh, and beyond that, it contributes to subsidence, which means that our city and s- streets are sinking. Uh, and so like with this urban water plan, we're, again, it's the mirror in Gentilly, they have the Gentilly Resilience District, uh, which is a multi-million dollar plan that they got a grant from HUD and a FEMA grant as well that would put in a really big and beautiful rain garden called the Mirabu Rain Garden, uh, but it would do a couple other things as well. So, you know, making sure that beyond just that, the city, when they're building new infrastructure, right, they have these billions of dollars coming in to rebuild a lot of the infrastructure here that they're considering stormwater management plans and that they're considering those things to prevent flooding like this from happening again in the future. What are, let's say, what are some practical steps if for, let's say, okay, let's, I'm going to break this into a couple categories. Let's, let's say you're renting a home in, in New Orleans or in Jefferson Parish or in any of the other parishes or counties that are affected. What are some practical steps that a resident can do who may not have authority to, to do landscaping? Or what, what can the average citizen of the Gulf do to do their part to help mitigate uh, flooding risk or just the, to help create a more positive relationship with water? So some top of the head ideas that come to mind for me would be um, definitely consider, you know, rain barrels. They, their capacity is still fairly low, but I mean, if you had maybe two rain garden, I mean, barrels, um, you know, that could help hold a little bit of, of the runoff from a, a typical rain event, um, as well as keeping storm drains clean. You know, catch basins are often, um, they, they get clogged by, by fallen leaves or just debris that's, that's on the um, streets. And you know, I think for a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, you know, the storm drain is the government's, it's in their, it's in their jurisdiction. They own it, so they need to be the ones to take care of it. And while I think, you know, I think there's a lot of effort that goes into um, keeping those clean, there are far more storm drain and catch basins than there are, the, than there are staff to help and, and maintain those. And so, you know, just a little act of, of going out and, and making sure your, your catch basin is clear of debris you know, every few days, oh, you know, every few weeks, or if you know if a rain event's coming, I mean, that can make a huge difference just in the water being able to go down the drain versus being clogged and, and, and staying on the street. Those barrels that you were talking about, what, do you position those under gutters? How, what, how do those work? Where do you get them? What, what does that look like? Um, you can get them pretty much anywhere. Um, I know people who've actually ordered them online. They're available at a lot of home stores, such as Lowe's or Home Depot. You can get various sizes. They do need to connect to a downspout from a gutter, um, but you, you essentially want to kind of, you know, take a look at your house, maybe when it's raining, go outside with an umbrella and take a look and see where you get the most sort of downpour at, you know, and, and think about, okay, well, I can put one here and put one there, and that would help keep water away from the house, first of all, but also collect a little bit more um, of that water rather than it contributing to 
to the water that's going into the streets. And then what 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 do you do? Because that's not going to be safe, like potable drinking water. Do you keep it to correct? So you can plants? use it. What to, else do you do? Absolutely, you can water a garden or um, a planter box, or even to wash your car. Hmm. So there there are some other things that can be done with that water. Um, okay. Yeah. How about you, Ari? What do you what do you have for that? The average citizen could do I other mean, than yeah, communicate. That is great, but also communicate with your elected officials, mm-hmm. whoever they are, especially you know, municipal. Right now, we are about to go into municipal election. Mm-hmm. Uh, so making sure that the person that you're voting for has stated that they're going to be prioritizing green infrastructure. I'm, I'm going to get semi-political here for a second. We're <laughs> shying away from politics a little bit. Um, I, I, I was talking with somebody whose uh, business was affected by the flooding recently, and uh, they were saying that, um, you know, everybody's been running through. We've got a mayoral election coming through, mm-hmm. so everybody had to come and get their photo op right now. Um, I kind of hate it right now because it's just like, this is an issue that's ongoing right now, be- but because it's in the forefront, everybody's, of course, going to say the same thing, you know? Like, and I, I, I don't know, what steps can people take? What, what should be the things that people are actually looking for with the candidates in, in the city council members? With the, with the mayor and everything like that. What are the steps that actually... Saying that, like, hey, infrastructure needs to be better in the city. We can't let flooding happen. That's just politics and buzzwords at that point. What are the real issues that, like, you know, these candidates need to be addressing? So, I think it's accountability, mm-hmm. right? So, it's very easy to say, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. But then moving forward, ensuring that they actually go through with that and that when they're making these plans, that they're listening to the community and the people who are going to be most affected by the plans that are going to be in place. So they're mm-hmm. talking a lot right now about having a third-party assessment to see what actually happened. And so making sure that whoever ends up doing that assessment is uh, non... Let's see. Nonpartisan is not the right word or the word that I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, I get it. And, and disinterested. <laughs> right. That is, mm. Right. Like, they they have nothing to gain Yeah, not from, somebody who's been working there for 20 years. Right, not a company that is potentially already working with the city oh, who yeah. may have something to gain right. from this. Yeah. Well, what, do, what are your thoughts on uh, the idea of privatizing? I, I think uh, the mayor right now has said something about, like, we need to, like, stop it and, like, our, our the pumping systems need to be run by a private company. What are, what are your thoughts on that? So... Privatization is not going to equal accountability, and it's not going to make things better. I mean, honestly, like, and this is this is my fear of capitalism coming through. But it sounds like it's worse. It's like if you've got a business that's trying to make as much money off of it, it's like that seems like okay. What corners can we cut? How can we minimize costs? Right. Right. I mean, is, is that, I mean, is that just me being paranoid? Or no, is that I, like I think that the imperative of any for-profit organization is the bottom line. They're beholden right. to their. They're not beholden to their constituency in the same exactly. way a publicly run organization is. They're beholden right. to their shareholders or to their owners. Mm-hmm. Cool. So bad idea altogether, right? I I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it necessarily, but I could see some sort of public-private partnership. There may be better run organizations that are better capable of doing some of the work that is required to happen. But I think just handing it over wholesale mm-hmm. to a for-profit company is probably fraught with peril but i think there might be a re- i'm not i'm not willing to say that it shouldn't happen at all top to bottom there's got to be ready s- for the apple eye pump to come out <laughs> <laughs> good, good one that was <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh uh maggie we, we talked a little bit about uh some of the resources that they're they're federal resources but they're ways that you ha- have helped 
individual homeowners and property owners uh, improve their properties in a way that will make them more resilient to flooding in the future. Can you talk about some of the services that you are able to provide the residents of Jefferson Parish? And uh, hopefully some of those services will be available to residents of other surrounding parishes as well. Um, so the, the programs that are around right now are FEMA, FEMA-funded elevation grants or reconstruction grants. Um, the priority for FEMA is to target those properties that have flooded multiple times. So um, at least two or more claims, flood claims on a property would help them to be eligible for such a program. And then, you know, if, if they meet that criteria, then at least we can start to look to see uh, what, what program may be best suited for them in their, their situation. Okay. Are those programs available to properties or are they exclusively available to residential properties or somebody like, I mean, I don't know if they have multiple claims or, but a place like the Borat theater we talked about at the top of the show, they've flooded twice within the last three weeks. Would they be eligible because of that? Or if they've had flood claims, um, on the building, then there's a, yes, there's a very good chance. It's not exclusive to residential. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they have two very big insurance claims right now. And the, the, the services that FEMA helps them provide, it's, it's raising the home specifically to historic levels. What, how, how high are they raising them? Um, what so percentage that, of this is? Is it like a, you know, sliding scale based on need? Or is it 100% of the cost for these places that have flooded repeatedly in the past X number of years? So there is, there's no sliding scale. Um, it's, it's purely ba- in terms of funding cost share, it's purely based on number of flood claims made on the property. And that could be any, any previous owner may have made a claim on the property and that claim follows the property. Hmm. So sometimes we'll see um, what we call loss histories for people where their claims were back in 1978, 1982. Um, and they're paying a higher premium because of it, because they flooded. Even though their flooding problem may have been resolved, they still had two more flood claims, like two flood claims on their um, properties. So they might be penalized for that for flood insurance. There's no sliding scale. So the cost share is determined by number of claims. If, you, if you've had you know, just two claims, then you might be eligible for a, what we call a 75-25% cost share, meaning FEMA would cover 75% of the, construction, of the project cost and the homeowner would be responsible for the remaining 25%. There are different, the, the other program for that would be maybe a 90-10 split, or you could be potentially 100% funded if you've had perhaps four or more claims. Um, so it's purely based on claims. They don't look at any other factor in that um, and determining that cost share. All right. Awesome. So Ari, um, I became familiar first with the GRN. Um, I was asked to help participate in a science fair fundraiser. It really kind of opened a lot of people's eyes out, especially in the bar community. It's like, hey, this is an issue, which was mm-hmm. really good. You touched on one initiative when you were talking about the urban uh, plan earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that called again that you guys are kind of working on? So we are not personally working on it. Oh, right? got it, got it. So there's the urban water plan that the city of New Orleans has. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the city of New Orleans is not doing much with it at all. So they were given a couple hundred million dollars, if I remember correctly, to make this plan. Ooh. Maybe it was less than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But they made this really comprehensive plan and unfortunately have not done much to actually follow through with that plan, Mm. Uh, which is really unfortunate because it could do a lot to help 
the city live with water in the future. Mm-hmm. And um, there is, so we've worked uh, in the past dealing with flooding uh, out in the Treme. So the city passed this comprehensive zo- zoning ordinance uh, and Article 23 of that says that when new developments being built over, I think it's 5,000 square feet, uh, so whether that's making a parking lot or a new building, then they have to add stormwater management plans into the plan. And so we worked with uh, the St. Peter Kleber neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, to ensure that a, some, a structure that was going to be built there was not being offered an exemption to this comprehensive zoning ordinance because they already have really significant flooding there, okay. uh, even in a light rain. And so right now in Gentilly, uh, they have this really big... Uh, Gentilly Resilience District uh, that they got a big HUD grant and uh, a big FEMA grant and uh, you know making sure that there's a lot of science that was put into this plan right? Right. But a hundred million dollars worth of science. Yeah. <laughs> 241 million dollars oh, uh, is what the plan <laughs> That's is a lot cost, of science. Or that's the amount of money that they have and, and are getting I guess I should say. Uh, and so you know, making sure that community voices are mm-hmm. being heard as they're implementing this plan. You know, all the science in the world is great, but you know, you need the community in there because they're the ones that are going to be most affected by right. it. Is there a disconnect then? Um, do you believe with trying to uh, trying to convey that information? Like, if there's a study that happens, it's like here's a bunch of science and numbers and things like that. Like bringing that down to like a grassroots level. Do you think there's a bit of a struggle with that? Definitely. I mean. Personally, I don't have a science background. Mm. And so sometimes when I read things, I struggle with what it has to say. And, you know, I am fortunate enough to have access. We have a scientist that works at GRN. And so if I have a question, I can go to him and say, what does this mean? I really don't understand this. Uh, Science guy. (laughs) Right. Don't care what his name is. He is science guy at GRN. (laughs) No, he's Scott Eustace, the science guy. Don't ruin it. He's science guy. (laughs) Thanks, Uh, Scott. For real. Uh, And... Uh, but yeah, I think you know, as a whole, the science community could do a better job of translating what things mean into language that someone like myself that doesn't have a science background mm-hmm. can more easily understand without having to do, you know, read a paragraph and do ten Google searches in that paragraph because yeah. there are multiple things in there I don't understand. So make, yeah, there is a desk. Make one of those little sure. videos that has cartoons in it. Be like the problem with this is right. everybody's like like share done. Got it. <laughs> That's, right. That's all you need, right? Um, cool. So besides that, uh, and uh, some of the other things you talked about, what are other initiatives that the GRN pursues, and what are what's what's on your like action list for like these are these are the causes that we need to address, and like you know. So uh, another big one that I think you know directly deals with flooding is our wetland restoration, like focusing on wetland restoration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now the state loses roughly a football field of wetlands every 48 minutes, and yeah, really significant. <laughs> but it's caught it, and you know it's pushing communities out of their homes, and the state has Louisiana's master plan that would you know, restore our wetlands and our other coastal lines of defense to protect our communities from storms and sea level rise. But the unfortunate thing is that that plan is severely underfunded. Mm. Right now, uh, they just adjusted the price tag for inflation, and it's going to be about $96 billion total, so with a B billion dollars. Mm-hmm. I just a shiver <laughs> ran up my spouse. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I think one of the... One of the it, 
you touched both on the the very localized plans in New Orleans and then the the statewide plans. There's a lot of plans, and the plans seem sound, but whether or not there's the money or the political will to implement those plans seems like it's very much up in the air. Yes, that is very true and really unfortunate because I think, you know, the plans, there's no such thing as a perfect plan, Mm. but they're better than no plan. Yeah. And, but yeah, I think the biggest issue is that those plans are not funded. Yeah. And I don't know what, there's not much being done really to get them funded. I remember um, I was working at this, uh, I helped open this oyster bar recently and we were looking in to get uh, oyster shell recycling because it's Mm -hmm. like, that's great for wetland preservation. You can create natural reefs by like throwing those oyster shells back in there. And we have like a ton of oyster shells that are like just thrown away in the city on a given basis. But like the program that we were trying to go through, and I'm not sure about all the details, the chef um, was uh, handling most of that, but we couldn't get into the program because they either didn't have the funding in order to pick up new accounts or they just didn't have the resources to like handle that so it was kind of frustrating because it's like you know like we want to be able to help and this is a really actually a very good way to help right now but we just can't right well and to my knowledge they actually lost quite a bit of funding for that because a restaurant that i worked at which is also a seafood restaurant that had an oyster bar Mm -hmm. was doing the same oyster shell recycling and recently got rid of it and to my knowledge they did lose a lot of funding for it uh but uh and you could be in the program but it's really costly if you want to continue to be in the program after the loss of this funding that's my understanding of yeah it. i mean well i mean the perfect example is coal like coal has a lot of you know he he wants to save the planet which is a great initiative for him so he pays for glass recycling he pays for composting services and things like that and uh we switched all of our straws to compostable straws it's that's really cool. good that's but, significant yeah but it's it's great but like to me like there's a part of me that's like I, i've run bars and restaurants like oh bottom line bottom line bottom line yeah it like, is more expensive it is it is and it's I, it's just a yeah. cost that i mean you know, you could raise the price of the drinks if you want to. People will balk at that. But honestly, it's just like it's being a responsible business owner. Mm-hmm. It's like knowing that, like, it's not just about the short term, like we we're talking exactly. about. It's not just about making mm-hmm. money. It's like, you know, being a responsible business and making those kind of endeavors and things like that. So, um, you know, but it, it would be nice to have, like, a partnership as well. as like, <laughs> yeah. make these make these resources, like, make class recycling in the city more accessible to people. Like, make things like oyster recycling more accessible for people. It's like, I, I it's like... Everybody throws out the cost immediately and just like this will cost a, uh, a number with an M or a number that starts with a B like there. And you're just like, ah, a million, yeah. million. It's Cer- at a certain point, it's it. just there's an amount of money that is just all of it. Yeah. Like, like, there's no, there's, it's an unfathomable amount right. for the well, average that's person. That's the whole to... point of pu- uh, putting those costs out there, right? It's just fuck off money. Part of my language with that one. But it's, just, <laughs> it's just like, let's throw out a big number and then basically people will just like lose interest. They're like, like, oh, well that's impossible. Right. I, I was reading that there is a, uh, there's a plan to completely revamp uh, the pump systems because they're running on like antiquated, like, like currents or things like that. Like, like a type of electricity. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that the pumps fail is that when the, when the power, Power generation goes down, this, and either of you can correct me. I'm sure you both know more about this than I do. But when the power fails, there's no backup because of how old the the pumps are in a lot of the old pumping houses. That any generator that you buy now runs on a completely different 
kind of electricity even. Is that, Maggie, is that, what, what do we know anything about that? <laughs> not, not touching it. The, <laughs> from the right. articles I've scanned right. online, that sounds <laughs> yeah, that's, like. That's what I've heard. That's like the current's different or something like that. But, um, yeah, but but then, like, you know, at the end of the article, like, there was a plan to replace these, but it was going to cost at least $10 billion. And it's just like, that's just fuck off right there. It's just like, okay, it's never going to happen. We don't have $10 billion. I mean, it's just never going to happen. So, I don't know. I don't know. But we got to try, right? Grassroots. Try. Get these causes going. Find ways to do it. And be responsible business owners and citizens. Um, I think we're kind of right right about where we need to be at right now. Um, on the show, we do like to wrap up with parting shots. Cole, why don't you explain to our guests what our parting shots well, are? Well, parting shots are just a chance to reintroduce yourself to our, to our listeners. And after doing that, talk about just a bit more personally about what your job is, what your role is, your relationship with, with flooding. Uh, and then either talk about uh, one more thought that you want to leave people with just uh, on your way out the door, uh, maybe some uh, resource that you can provide. Just what, were you, what do you want people to take away from this conversation? So, uh, Maggie, if you want to give us... Uh, I've, I've saw you jot, jotting down some thoughts over there. <laughs> I think there's something there that sure. might make for a good parting thought for our <laughs> listeners. We'd be, we're all ears. Thanks. Um, so, yes, again, I'm, I'm Maggie Olivier, and I am a floodplain manager for a neighboring parish. And, um, you know, I think it's important. A lot of what I do in my day-to-day is help people understand their flood risk and kind of break down those those barriers of, like, well, wait, why is my flood insurance going up? Or what, does the, what zone am I in on the map? And what does that really mean for me? And so, you know, if you have questions, don't be afraid to reach out because there there is – help out there. there. There are resources out there that can help kind of you know, make that a bit easier to understand. And I, I for sure want to encourage people to get flood insurance. Renters can get flood insurance for their contents um, and homeowners sh- can absolutely get flood insurance. And it's, you know, it's important to have that, that peace of mind. And, and a lot of people, I mean, Orleans Parish has recently gone through a new flood map um, adoption. Jefferson Parish is also uh, in that process. And on for both of us, you know, a lot of properties are going from a high-risk area to a low-risk, and yet here we are, we're seeing flooding happen all yeah. around us, right, and, and on a more regular basis. And so don't, don't let those flood-risk designations on a map kind of fool you into thinking that you're protected from flooding. It, it's, it's a tool for insurance purposes, and it helps us to get an understanding of, of sort of you know, what areas are going to be a little bit more at risk than others. But even if you're in a low-risk area, you are at risk. Zone X is a flood zone, and we absolutely encourage everyone to, to look into getting a flood insurance policy if you don't have one. It can be more affordable than you think. All right. Thank you very much, Maggie. All right. Do you have any parting shots that you want to you want to share with our, our hundred listeners, approximately? <laughs> yeah, hey. hey. Viewership's going up. It's great. <laughs> awesome. uh, so, yeah. I'm Aria Savado. Uh, I work for Gulf Restoration Network. I am our outreach team coordinator, and uh, I think, you know, the upcoming election is going to provide us with a municipal election is going to provide us with a really unique opportunity to deal with a lot of the problems that people may have or are seeing in the city. And so use that to your advantage, right? Go out and vote, but also, you know, there are a lot of candidates forms that are coming up. Look for them, find them, and go to them. Ask them questions. Hold them accountable. You know, it's very easy for people to think, oh, I'm one person and I can't do anything. But when you have a lot of people who have come together and have said, this is an issue, this is a problem, and we need to fix it, then, yeah, our politicians will totally listen to us. So, you know, work with your, knock on your neighbor's doors. Ask them if 
the problems that you see are also the problems that they're seeing and come together and say, hey, this is a problem. We need to fix it. And uh, with that being said, GRN is hosting a mayoral forum uh, on flood risk and adapting to a changing environment on September 14th at 530 at the New Orleans Jazz Market on OC Haley. So definitely, if you can make it out, please go. Does, uh, does, Sorry. Um, does GRN, I know that you, you, you're hosting this forum. Do you ever go so far as to endorse candidates? We cannot. Should, we we are because, a 501c3. Oh, yeah, yes, so because be. of that, we can't endorse any candidate. Uh, we can say this piece of legislation is going to be bad, and this is why. Mm. Uh, so you can talk about legislation, but not candidates. Right. Right. Okay. Exactly. Not human candidates. I exactly. Guess. All right. Well, I think that's that's great. I think we've got covered a lot of ground here. Covered a lot of water as well. Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Too easy. Uh, I think if I'm gonna have a parting shot here, I think we talked a little bit about the uh, keeping keeping drains clean in the street. I do think mm-hmm. that it may not be the individual responsibility of a person to do that. It should be a municipal responsibility, but a lot of things should be, and they just don't have the bandwidth to do it. So we need to take responsibility for that ourselves. And I think what that starts with, and the city, I, I think probably across the South, it's, it's endemic. It's a litter. There's a lot of litter. People just throw things out the windows of their cars as they drive in a lot of, in a lot of neighborhoods in New Orleans. Dumping on the curb. Dumping too, on the curb. Mm-hmm. There's so much litter in this city, and that's a big part of what blocks those catch basins. And I think if we want to take personal responsibility for some of the flooding that happens, if we just threw less trash onto the street. And I've heard it being described sometimes as a Mardi Gras mindset, that people are just used <laughs> to useless junk being thrown at them, and then the city comes right behind and That's cleans really it all up. That's really interesting, yeah. That, uh, that maybe, we, maybe we just need to get out of that mindset and start not throwing our trash in the street so cavalierly. So stop serving Go Cups, Cole? I, oh, I, I, I feel, t- every time I walk from my house, which is a block away, and I walk over to work, and, and I p- pick up a 12-mile limit cup, or a, clearly a can, or a, a, a something else that has come from our bar that is now in the streets, I feel personally responsible for that. Yeah, but I do pick it up, too. <laughs> Good on you. Thank you. Steve, you got any parting shots for us? Um, I think we just covered, uh, I almost said we covered a lot of ground, but somebody already nah. said that a second ago, so... <laughs> Wonk, wonk. Um, <laughs> this was uh, everything that I hoped it would be, honestly. Thank you so much, Ari and Maggie, for coming on. Um, I Thanks love the two me. different uh, perspectives. I think it's really great. We've had somebody who's from New Orleans. Uh, not New Orleans, pardon me. From South South, South Louisiana. Louis. Goodness. Um, and we have somebody who, who is a, a newer resident of the city as well, but is impassioned by the city and by the things that need to be done in order to preserve and ensure that the city can be enjoyed and this entire region as well can be enjoyed by future generations um it's about being conscious of being about aware of our actions and just not looking for easy fixes i mean we talk about that a lot on the show whether it's about diet whether it's about like you know the golf whether it's about anything really it's just like it's work there's work that has to be put into it but uh the resources can be out there you just gotta look for it uh we've got two great resources here and there's more out there just you know make the effort y'all and uh we can we can we can be better together guys we can yeah we can we don't really have a choice ultimately it's it's (laughs) adapt or die well i mean it's the city is a little transient at this point so there i think there is some people just like well i'll just move away i mean i mean but that's so shitty right just like no way sure so uh stick around guys don't move away anyways (laughs) i'm steve yamada i'm t cole newton this has been around with steve and cole y'all stay dry out there yeah and thanks for tuning in as always Cheers. cheers